Yo, what's good? Welcome back to Behind the Scenes, but we see you fam original series. I'm your host, Okun, and today I'm joined by Wisdom Cole, an activist, close friend, young black, master degree, legend on the rise, who spent the last few years working for the NAACP. Wisdom, what's good? What's good, man? It's good to be here. How you doing? I'm solid. I'm good. I'm good, bro. Um, so I think you could explain a lot better than I can. So I'm just going to pass you the mic on this one. But um, yeah, what do you do for the NAACP? Yeah, so um, the better question might be, what, what do I not do for the NAACP? Um, I do a lot. Uh, so my official title is the National Organizing Manager for the Youth and College Division. And essentially within that role, I work on all of the campaigns and trainings for the young people of the NAACP. Um, as you know, the NAACP is the largest, boldest, oldest civil rights organization in the country. Um, and when you think about the structure of it, right, you know, people have been fighting for civil rights for black people and people of color for years and years and years. But there is a, a next generation, a young generation of people. Think about millennials, think about Generation Z, the folks who are oftentimes the children or the grandchildren of the civil rights leaders. And so now those folks are in training, right? Those people are in high school, they're in college, um, they're in the community being activists and they fighting for justice because we're still fighting a lot of the same fights that we were fighting back in the day. They just look a little bit different. And so what I specialize in working on is making sure I can design appropriate training to make sure that people are prepared when they meet injustice, how to address it, right? Oftentimes when we meet injustice, we may have never known how to how to address it, how to say something about it, how to advocate and make sure that we are causing real meaningful change to happen within the system um, or without or outside the system um, for some of those who may not be in school because we also work with people who are not necessarily in the educational system. So it's necessary for folks to have the adequate training. And then in terms of campaigns, I really focus on making sure that people have uh, the right tools to begin to advocate and agitate at the different systems of oppression. So we recognize that um, you know, with anything that's happening, we have to be able to uh, vie for power or get power or make sure that we are able to see ourselves in those roles. And so part of it is being able to advocate, meet with elected officials, meet with <coughs> power and ensure that we're able to get the things that we want for our community. Yeah, no, that's that's dope and uh, way better than whatever I would have said. So I thank you for that. Um, there's two things that, that you said that I want to touch on. One being like getting the youth involved in in you know activism work um but before i you know go to that you also mentioned providing people with the correct tools um to do the to do the work um you know what are some of those tools and and how do you go about you know sharing it and, and giving people and empowering people to um you know use those tools in, in in their real lives so i think you know one of the main tools and basic tools is your voice right is recognizing that you have power within yourself oftentimes um when you think about power and you think about yourself, you know, we oftentimes talk about power from a scale from one to 10. And, you know, when we think about power as something that, you know, you may receive, you might feel powerful one day and then the next day you get some news and you feel like really defeated and feel really weak and don't feel powerful at all. And so what is important in terms of thinking about the power within ourselves or what my job is to do is to make sure young people can see that, hey, when I step outside of myself, when I begin to advocate, when I begin to engage with the powers that be, right? Oftentimes when we think of a system, there are, there's rules and there's guidelines and there's bylaws and there's all these things that guide our, our lives. And we think that those things are just uh, hard in stone and they're fact, but they're not. Those things are malleable, tangible, 
somebody created them, right? Somebody has the power to change them. Nothing is completely succinct. And so one, be able to realize, hey, I have the power to step outside myself and to advocate for my community and to push up against those, some of these rules. Um, some of the tools that I you know, want to equip my young people with is making sure that they are able to understand how the system works, right? So um, people have been doing this work for a really, really long time and there's certain tricks and issues that happen over and over and over again. And so oftentimes, you know, something I really believe is something called Sankofa. Um, and Sankofa is a South African principle that really means uh, to move forward, you must look back, right? We have to look back at our origins. And so a lot of the work that I do is getting people to be able to like analyze and see certain trends that are happening on their campus, happening in the community and recognizing how can I collect data, right? If that's actual numbers about events that are happening, right? Maybe there are certain racist incidents happening, collecting those numbers, collecting data in terms of like stories, um, any kind of information about those events and then be able to compile it together and deliver it to a body and to actually put forth either a set of demands or a list of inquiries that you would like to see um, may change. And so I think, you know, my primary job or function is to continue supporting students and making sure they understand that, hey, when you're at a university or at a school, you have the power, right? You are able to control and shift and push the narrative. And by recognizing certain things um, in terms of using media, in terms of actually getting bodies on the ground, in terms of recognizing the power of our vote, we actually can change certain these system dynamics to ensure that we create a future that's better for ourselves. Do you often see like people like jumping on board to that to that you know that fight, or do you see like pushback? Like, what are some of the challenges that you've you know faced in getting you know university kids or young people involved? I think the the pushback or the thing that we see, and I see pushback. I think one is just recognizing certain ideologies and being able to understand how we get people from just doing service work to doing advocacy, right? Um, if I were to break it down for you, right, oftentimes. You know, you'll you'll see people do community givebacks. They will, um, you know, raise money for the homeless. They'll do, um, you know, a book drive, things like that, that are uh, direct service work, right? That helps people immediately in today's time, right? If, you know, if you're hungry and I give you food, you are, you're satisfied for the moment. But I'm not interested in just satisfying for the moment. I'm interested in altering your life for the rest of your existence, right? I'm not thinking about just myself but I'm thinking about those who are to come. And so what we want to do and what I like to do is try to help people shift their mindset from thinking about how do I just address this issue here in the moment, but how do I change this for a lifetime? And what comes with that is making sure people know how to do advocacy work, how to meet with elected officials, how to meet with their campus administrators, how to meet with their school board, how to meet with their principal, how to have a meeting with your, your teacher, right? Just so that you can advocate for yourself. Even on a basic level, you think about even when you were a kid in school and you might have got a grade that you thought was unfair, how do you meet with that teacher and ensure that you are able to get what you want and advocate and know exactly what are the key issues or key points that you want to make to come across to that person? And so I think it's moving people from just saying, how do I just uh, fix this solution right now, but thinking about it for the longevity. And there's multiple ways that we do that. Yeah, that's dope. Yeah, it sounds a lot like you're talking about just um, the empowerment of it. You know what I mean? Like giving people uh, like that quote, right? Like you can teach a man, to, uh, you can give a man a fish, um, or you can teach for a day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I feel that. Um, you know where, when you were when you were coming up, right? Like, where do you feel like you got that? Um, you know, as a as a 
shorty in the game, you know what I mean? Trying to like figure out uh, and navigate the world around you. Like who were some of your mentors or, or did you have any, did you just have to like trial and error to figure it out? Or, you know, how, how did you get the information that you have now? It was, it was difficult. I would say, you know, I, I believe in destiny and I believe that things are done for a reason. Like, you know, the, the, the place I'm in and the position I'm sitting in is, wasn't just by chance. Right. And even as I'm getting older, I've actually begun to meet some of the people who have met, who have paved the way for me to be here. And I'm just like, Oh, wow. Like you did this. I was part of that program. You did this. I was part of that program. And now I'm just like, Oh, this wasn't just by happenstance or by accident. Right. Even though I say oftentimes I fell into organizing or I fell into this work because Originally, when I went to college, I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be in medical school. And at a certain point in time, I was just like, that's not big enough for me, right? I have to address some of these issues. And so, um, one, I would say the first incident and the first time period where I felt like, hey, I need to do something about this because as a young Black man in America, I've gone through it all, right? I've had, you know, the police pull guns on me. I've had teachers kick me out of class. Um, I've had so many different things. People make all these assumptions about me, but never knew what to do about it. And then I took this class one time talking about black and brown children in um, education and thinking about them through this mathematics and STEM lens. And it was just speaking truth to power to my life. And I was just like, why isn't anybody doing anything about this? Why isn't anybody addressing these issues? Why isn't anybody ensuring that, you know, black and brown children have the same access as everybody else? And then I had an epiphany where I was just like, I can't ask, keep asking who's going to do something about it. I have to do something about it. And so for me, you know, it was being a part of different spaces like the Black Student Union, being a part of different spaces like the African Student Union and having different mentors in those positions and then connecting with them and thinking about different ways I can build. Like I think part of it is also seeing yourself um, in other people's shoes and connecting with the network of people who have been doing this work, right? Like when I was younger in college, I used to go to UC Berkeley all the time because I had a homie out there who was organizing since his freshman year. And even before then, back when he was in Pasadena, um, his name, shout out to, to Destiny Awuma, my brother, um, one of the biggest inspirations for me to, to even get in this work, because I met him at a conference and he was just speaking so much truth. And I was like, oh yeah, man, this dude must be older than me. Dude, we're the same age, come from the same community, the same crew, all that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, wow, like I need to build with this brother. And so it's you know connecting with people at conferences, meeting people through different alumni associations, folks who are already engaging that work and just learning from them. Word, word. How, how much would you say, um, you know, college and like, you know, your university experience played a part in like your activism? Like, you know, how, how important is, is like that networking and, and that, that, you know, just being connected in like that college community, like, you know, how, how did that play a part for you? Oh, it was essential, bro. It was such essential. I think, you know, it completely, like I said, it changed the trajectory of my life. Right? I thought I was going to go to college, be in the books, studying. And, you know, my, my freshman year, I was, I was doing that, but I was also breaking outside of myself. And I was having conversations that I never had before. And I was speaking and understanding concepts that I had felt, but never had the words to actually say. And that was the part that was dope for me where I was like, oh, this is what I've been feeling the entire time, right? you know, feeling like I'm the, the only black kid in this space and, you know, feeling tokenized for it and feeling like, oh, people are putting the entire community on myself and just judging everything that black people do by the way I hold myself. And then to meet other black people who've also gone through the same experience, that was life-changing for me. Cause I was just like, oh, wow, I'm not alone in this. 
right? From my town and from my, my high school and my experience, right? Oftentimes I felt a lot of loneliness and felt a lot of isolation and felt like, you know, I'm just, I'm out here thugging it out on my own. And so being in college and connecting with people who have like stories, who come from like communities, right? I'm also Nigerian, uh, meeting Nigerian folks who are, who, are, who are activists and doing work for the black community and connecting, you know, our history between uh, the states and the continent, um, connecting with people who introduced me to ideas of pan-Africanism and recognizing that for black people everywhere to be free, Africa must be free. And for Africa to be free, black people everywhere must be free. And so I think a lot of the fundamental concepts that I believe in myself definitely came from being in different spaces in college um, and really led me to be where I'm at today. Speak to some of the, speak to the, you know, your life before college though, you know, speak to some of the like, um, you know, growing up in, you're from San Bernardino, right? Yes, sir. You know, Bernardino. <laughs> you know, being born, you know, born and raised San Bernardino, um, you know, can you speak to like, you know, your community experience there, um, you know, whether it be the community in general or the black community, um, there's something that I think that would be interesting to, to get your perspective on too, is that like, you know, being a, a first generation American is like your first generation American, right? Oh, so I, I particularly identify as like- Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm tripping, I'm tripping. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. were born in Nigeria. Yeah, so there's a, like, again, like the, these terms, and I think, again, like college is not the only place where you learn these things, but that was just an empowering experience for me where this term of like being a 1.5, where I was born in Nigeria, I lived in New York, I think for maybe like six months to a year in Queens, and then um, my, my mom and my dad were having some trouble, so they actually split up. And my mom uh, brought me and my brother to California, to San Bernardino, because there was a Nigerian community out here. And then I grew up in San Bernardino until I went up to the Bay Area. Got you. All right, well, the, the, I guess the point that I'm really trying to get at is that there's a, there's a nuance to being Black in America and being like, uh, you know, a first generation or, or, or 1.5 generation or 0.5, you know, um, generation uh, African-American, you know what I mean? And I, and I think there's a lot of insight to that, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's, there's a different lifestyle and it would be dope if you could, uh, you know, speak to some of that as well. Oh yeah, oh yeah, man. It was, it was, it's, it's like having, um, there's this, uh, this poet uh, that has a TED talk and she says, I speak three different languages. And, you know, she says, hello, what's good and wagwan. Um, and when I heard her, her say that, that, I'm like, that spoke so deeply to my life because as a young person, even before, before college, like thinking about high school, even middle school, elementary school, I felt like I was living in multiple worlds all at the same time and my worlds didn't understand each other, right? You have, you know, the way you speak to academics or your teachers, right? You know, the, your, your parents always teach you, or at least my mom was really big about, you gotta respect your elders, you gotta respect your teachers, you gotta respect these people. Um, and so, you know, growing up for me in a, in a single parent household um, in San Bernardino, um, especially when you think about the, the history of San Bernardino after the Rodney King riots, right? A lot of black people migrated from Los Angeles out to the San Bernardino Valley uh, to, you know, quote unquote, escape gang violence, to escape the issues that were going on in LA. And so San Bernardino is actually a really, you know, big black community. Um, and so I, I always felt like I grew up in a black community but I was never a part of the black community as much as a young person. Um, because oftentimes, uh, you know, I went to a Nigerian church, I was in Nigerian spaces, uh, you, you know, went to the Nigerian parties, right? A lot of those things, a lot of the, the people 
who I was um, close to in my younger years um, were other Nigerian people because you know Nigerians form these enclaves and are able to stick really tight. Even the reason I moved to San Bernardino, right, was because my uncle was here um, and he you know flew me, my mom, and my brother to San Bernardino, and that's where we really started our life at. So I always felt like my my worlds were were colliding and clashing, and that I like I said earlier, you know, I felt alone and like I never fit fit, uh, fit in. Um, but I felt these things, right? Like at the end of the day, right? And I, I always tell this to people, for all intents and purposes, I grew up in, you know, a, a black home, a black experience. I was raised by a single mother. Um, I grew up in a black community, um, faced a lot of the many struggles that, that black people faced. Um, and besides, you know, being having this immigrant mentality or immigrant mindset where like, there's this concept of being a volunteer minority versus involuntary minority where you know, as my family, my, you know, the, the values that my mom put into me were education, 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 right? You know, every, every time I didn't do well on the test, she's like, well, they did well. Do, do they have two heads? Like, study more. Come on. Like, my mom was grilling me education, education, education. So it was, it was an expectation that I had to go to college. There was no question. There was not like, oh, am I going to go to college? Am I not going to college? It was, you're going to college. Um, the question might be where, but it's like, you're going to college. And then for, for me, I've, internalize that and that's become something that is still a big value to me education is something that I, I hold you know up super up here and you know share with all the people that I come into contact with but that was something that was instilled in me so then me going to high school and being one black kid in these AP and honors classes was such a a, a wild experience for me because like I said earlier the conversations I was having people would be like putting the entire weight of the black community on me right I remember there was one point I literally convinced my entire class that I was such a great basketball player because I was the only black person in the class. And then when I got on the court, it was trash, right? Um, <laughs> and so it's just like people, people have these assumptions about who you are just based on race. And it was, I didn't necessarily know what was going on at the time. And now as an adult, I'm able to analyze it and look back at what happened. But at the time it was just like, oh man, I gotta be, I gotta be good at basketball. Everybody looking at me like, you about to be the next Michael Jordan. And so uh, I ended up, you know, doing things or, or feeling like I had this responsibility that I necessarily didn't have. And, you know, sometimes feeling ostracized, but sometimes feeling like scrutinized and putting, a, putting almost like a microscope to me because it's just like, well, for a lot of people who are in those spaces, I may be the only black person that they're interacting with or know, right? Everything they knew off of was from a Tyler Perry movie or from you know, TV. So, you know, growing up, growing up, as you know, an immigrant, a black person, all these things, Nigerian in America, it's 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 rough, and it's interesting to even continue navigating some of the dynamics as I'm an adult. What would you you know, you you talked about balancing all of these different dynamics as a as a you know young kid and trying to understand these different like stereotypes and expectations of being um, a black young adult. You know, what did you learn? You know, in your adulthood. That, that you might tell your, you would have told your younger self or that you can tell other, um, you know, younger folks who, who are in the same position but don't necessarily know how to like um, navigate those situations? Um, love yourself, love yourself, love yourself. Like I always say, I learned a lot of things in college, but the biggest thing I learned in college was to love myself. Um, like growing up, like, you know, especially with those dynamics and feeling ostracized or feeling not a part of different groups you know um one of the artists that i i really vibe with a lot in my younger years 
um, not as much lately, uh, but Childish Gambino, you know, he used to say this, this line, um, you know, too black for the white kids, too white for the black kids. And that was something that I internalized and felt, you know, very deeply. Um, and as I've gotten older, I've unpacked that and why I felt that and um, why, you know, where I fed into that and where that was like put on me. Um, but part of it is just loving yourself as a black person completely openly and honestly, right? And I can say today, like, I love myself. I undoubtedly love myself. I love myself. I love my sanity. I love my peace. I love who I am. I love what I do. Um, and, you know, as a young person, it's hard, right? You know, you're, 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 you're going through puberty. You're going through life. You're trying to figure out all these dynamics about just the world. Um, you know, even I was laughing at the fact that, like, I'm in politics now and watching CNN and engaging in this and having the discourse when I used to hate that back in the day. I was like, I would never do that. I'll never be part of that, right? Um, even though I was an Obama kid, I was definitely back in the day wearing one of those changes come to America shirts, repping super hard, but not necessarily knowing any of the policies. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think <coughs> just telling myself and telling other young people, young black people um, who are going through this period of time to just really love you. Like your blackness is beautiful, right? Your blackness is dynamic. They want to be us. They want to hold our culture. They love it. That's why like people like people are scrutinizing and looking because they 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 want to see how they could have the sauce, but not really have the sauce and not really bear the burden that sometimes comes with you know having the skin right you want to be cool and you want to rap and do all these things like that but then you don't want to be followed around uh by the police um on your own campus or followed around at the bookstore by security over and over again or being asked if you actually go here because you're black you don't want to, they don't want to do that and so just recognizing that you know you may have a a burden to bear or you're, you're going through these difficult times but I think when you when you really love yourself and really dive into to who you are and what makes you beautiful um, and and do that, the sky's the limit. You can do anything. You spoke a lot about like education um, and and you were like a, a teacher for a little bit. Like, I feel like you've already lived like you've low key lived like a few lifetimes already, bro. Like <laughs> like between teaching, like, you know what I mean? And the work you're doing now and, you know, whatever the future holds. And you're only like, you know, you just turned what, like 27, like, yep. you know, future, future's definitely bright. But, you know, if you could speak to um, some of your experience as a teacher and, and things that you noticed, whether it be in the, in the, you know, context of underprivileged or black or, or, um, you know, different social dynamics due to race, um, you know, if you could just speak to your experiences there and, and what you kind of notice in the younger community, um and and maybe some of the some of the hidden gems um you know that 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 community like holds yeah um so so basically after i did uh got my bachelor's um in chemistry at uc santa cruz um during my period of time there i was still kind of like even navigating like what do i want to do with my life and i was still in this path of like all right well i want to be a doctor i want to do research and i still but i was still trying to do you know, this, this social justice work and be a student leader. Um, and I remember being back in college and there was like a couple times or a lot of times where I'd be in back to back to back to back organizing meetings and um, realize, and then be there to like midnight and then start doing my homework. And I'd be like, yo, what am I doing? Like I'm doing all this work and it's great, but I actually came here to get a degree and I'm not doing the work I need to do to get a degree. And right. so, um, there was actually a point in my life or in my college career where I had a, uh, an amazing opportunity. I had a 
uh, one of like the most prestigious like fellowships um, in the science department. And I lost it because I failed a class. And then um, that just, you know, it, it knocked me out, took me out and really was like, you know, what am I supposed to do? Like, this is what I thought I was doing. This is what I thought I was going. And I really believe that like when doors close, God opens other doors for you. And so, um, like I told you about that education class I took, that class really spoke to me. Um, and then I started getting into the education space, started teaching more. And then I was also already a student leader. So I thought that teaching would come supernaturally to me. And so right after I graduated from Santa Cruz, I went to the University of San Francisco and I got my master's um, in teaching and I got my credentials in chemistry and math. And so uh, teaching was a phenomenal experience. It was dope. I will, I will always tell people that teaching is the one of the best jobs I've ever had in my life and also one of the hardest jobs I've ever had in my life because you can't just go into a classroom and think that you got the sauce and think that these kids are going to mess with you just because you're young and you're black, right? Just because you've done this once or twice before, you've done some student leadership work before, or you've you know worked with young people before, that these kids are going to mess with you because these kids are going through real things in their lives. These kids, you know, have have parents. Some some of them, not all of them. Some of them have parents who neglected them. Some of them come from um, backgrounds where they're not, you know, super connected to their family unit or have any support system. Some of them are living on the streets. Um, some of them are just, you know, in the process. You think think back to high school, man. Like you're navigating all these dynamics of what does it mean to be a young person in this country, with especially in the time period that we're in. I remember waking up on uh, November um, in November of 2016 and Trump being elected and going into school in my classroom and looking at my students and seeing the looks on their face, right? A few of my students were undocumented, right? And you've seen this narrative of Trump saying, build the wall, build the wall, build the wall. And they're looking to you for answers and you're holding all, the, all, all this trauma and stuff that they are sharing with you, right? You gotta be strong. You gotta be able to, to, to hold that strong and to be able to you know, let that out in healthy ways. And so part of my, my journey as a teacher was one, recognizing I was not ready to be a teacher when I started being a teacher, but I did what I needed to do to get ready and to make sure I could be the best teacher possible for the students because they needed somebody that they could talk to, they needed somebody they can connect with, and they needed to be able to see and um, be around people who exist in different ways, right? A lot of them had never seen a black math teacher or a black science teacher before. A lot of them, I remember that one of the very first days I was teaching, um, you know, the, the students was like, oh, you got, any, you got any tattoos? Are you in a gang? Blah, blah, blah. Because their perception of young black men is you're, you're in a gang. You got to be gang affiliated, right? And this, this idea of these perceptions. Or I remember this one student, this one, one of my um, young black girls who was, who was in my class, the very first day, she was like, I ain't no damn scientist. And, you know, one of my whole goals the whole year was to, to help her see herself as a scientist because as black people, as African people, we are the originators of math and science, right? We started that. We people used to, Europeans used to come to us to learn math and science, right? The very first university was in Timbuktu. We we created this, and over years, and because of lies, and because of you know oppression and racism and slavery and all these different systems of oppression, you know, we've lost some of that culture, lost some of that connection to ourselves and to who we are. And so, even though I was a math and science teacher. Part of my work deeper was to connect my students to the root of who they were and to, to show them that they could be more than what the world says and more than what they think they could be. But also be whatever you want to be, not even what I want you to be. I could be like, I want you to be this, I want you to be that. 
What do you want to be? What do you want to do? Yeah, no, I think, and I think that approach to it is what separates like, you know what I mean? Like the teachers that you just have, that you just go through the motions with and the ones that you remember for like the rest of your lives, you know what I mean? Like we all have, you know, teachers or professors that to this day, like um, have done things that, that have impacted us um, that, that we can, you know, see in our lives. I feel like, you know, this younger generation, Generation Z, you know, people who are in high school right now or just getting into college, like, they've been going through a lot, man. Like, they've been, they've been going through it. They've seen a lot. Like, I had no, I had no interaction with politics, like, until I voted, you know what I mean? When I was like 18, 19, you know, whatever that year was. Um, and I feel like they've just been like, seeing the craziest stuff from the youngest age like crazy bro um you know how did you how did you you know during those times because i feel like you know there there had to be like some some situations whether it be i i can't remember the years you were teaching but you know how did you navigate through some of the overarching social issues or 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 you know big events um that were happening you know during the times that you were a teacher you gotta, you gotta address it, right? I think there's this false mentality that sometimes happens in the education community is that when, when bad things happen, just ignore it and move on, or that students' lives at home are separate from their lives here at school. And that's not true at all, right? It's not like, as soon as you go to school, everything from the world shuts out and it's gone. No, like that stuff carries on and that stuff is part of it. And you, you see it, things have happened, right? I've been, you know, Part of a you know part of a school shooting. I've been had had to be there and be an emergency responder and still having to to deal with trauma. That I've had to break up fights between students. I've had to to um, you know support students going through difficult transitions or times or trying to you know just make sure that they have a, a place to stay. Um, or the fact that like you know I was teaching in San Francisco and San Francisco was rapidly getting gentrified and a lot of these students that I was teaching were coming um, from the other side of the Bay Area from Oakland uh, from deep in the East Bay. Um, just to come to San Francisco for school because this was the only school that could support them and had a program um, because they might have a, uh, a, special, a special learning teacher or they have certain skills there that are going to actually support uh, the work that they, they need to do as students. And so um, for me, especially during those periods of time, I'm really big about like, yeah, we have a lesson plan. Yeah, we have things we're trying to do, but we're going to stop class right now and we're going to address this right here, right? Especially when if they're, you know, often, oftentimes in classrooms, you know, students will be disruptive or, or there'll be an issue or a student will say something or get into an altercation that shakes the class. And it's not just like, all right, let me keep the student out of class and keep going. When things like happen, stop the class, address it, discuss it, discuss what needs to go on to move on, and then you can continue going because you not addressing it doesn't help anybody, right? There's a violation or something has happened in the space and you must address that. And so um, even when things happen on a bigger scale outside of the school, um, one thing I always used to do when I started my class is I used to uh, guide my, my, uh, my students in a call and response, right? Because I think that one, uh, as Black people, as African people, uh, that is something that's within our nature. Uh, that's something that we, we agree with. I'm not saying everybody got rhythm, but I'm saying that when we look back at African history, uh, that's something that has been persistent through our history, and you can even see it in current, you know, hip hop and pop culture today. And so the 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 saying or the um, the call and response that I would have them say is something from Asada Shakur, 
um, who was a, a part of the Black Panther Party. Uh, and what she would say, these are some words of strength and wisdom and power, and basically saying, it is our duty to fight for our freedom. It is our duty to win. We must love and protect each other. We have nothing to lose but our chains. And I would be asked all the time, you know, like, why, why do you, you, you teach math, you teach science, right? Like, why are you saying this in our class? Why are you doing this? Why is this part of your, your, your ritual in terms of entering the space? Because we need to recognize what we're doing here. Being in school, being in the space that for a lot of students has been very harmful, right? And especially as a high school teacher, what I realized was a lot of the work I was doing was undoing harm that they had gone through from kindergarten through uh, ninth grade, right? You, you had teachers who said you were dumb. You had teachers who said, you'll never amount to nothing. You had teachers who just you know, blatantly disrespected you and your family and your friends. And so you come into a space, you don't trust me, right? So I gotta form that trust, but I also want you to remind you why you're here. You're, you're, you're fighting for freedom for you and your family. You're fighting for freedom for you and your people. When you fight for freedom, right, you will win. When you fight for freedom or breaking the chains that have been on your family for generations and generations, right? We have nothing to lose but our chains. And so saying that if we, if you fully engage, right? And I understand you might not trust me right away and I'm gonna work to earn your trust and learn to, to earn, your, earn your respect. And I'm gonna respect you the same way I want you to respect me. But if you, you know, you know, believing in myself and believing in the work that I'm trying to do, I ultimately believe that, you know, I will empower, I, I believe and I still believe that I will empower my students to, to break these chains that they may be bringing into the classroom. Yeah, I feel like, you know, teaching is almost like, like the, I think the part that's understated maybe is like the mentorship part of it. And, and I think that, you know, a lot of uh, what you're speaking to um, is that. I, I wanna move forward. I wanna move, you know, fast forward a little bit from your teaching experience to, to 2020. I feel like 2020 has definitely been one of like the craziest years that that I've been alive. Um, and um, I'm curious to, you know, get some of your take on that and, and, and kind of, um, yeah, and just hear, hear how, how you've been approaching 2020. What have been some ways that you've been, that you've been able to like decompress maybe, you know what I mean? Like what are some ways that you've been able to block out some of the noise, um, your job, sounds very like emotionally or it sounds like it can be emotionally exhausting at times so what are some of the things that you do to like recharge especially in a year like the one we're going through right now so um yeah this year 2020 has it just won't quit like it just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper and like you said right for our our, our gen z folks or our millennial folks who are still in school right it sucks to be a student right now it's terrible it's so hard like um, yeah. And even just, you know, recognizing the situation that we're in, you know, when it all started, I was, I definitely was very depressed. I was like, why does anything matter? Like, we're like, I was not prepared for this. Um, and I would say the funny thing is that I remember when I was a chemistry teacher, I used to teach a lesson about this. Like there was this ABC special about how the world would end. And it literally, you kind of like went through this scenario. Um, and so it's, it's kind of, it's kind of wild to kind of think that that was, something that um, I, I used to teach and engage with. But uh, I think for me, there was a pivotal point, a turning point in April where I was like, 
you know, I thought, oh, this is gonna, cause they, they even especially when this happened, they're like, oh, well, we'll get back to normal in a month, two months, three months, four months. Every, everybody was expecting things to go back to normal. And then at a certain point where I was like, oh, the world that we lived in before no longer exists. The rules and the guidelines that we used to operate in no longer exist. We're entering into a new world. Even if this pandemic is over, even if there's a vaccine, even if whatever solution happens, the world that we were in no longer exists and we're entering into a new world. And in this new world, there has to be people who are willing to create and design some of the procedures or infrastructures necessary to support our people. And I wanna be one of those people, right? Anytime there's been any revolution, anytime there's been any major change, any major, major thing that's happened that's shaped not just the United States, but our entire world, there's been needed to have people to help reconstruct and rebuild it. And so the idea of being one of those people, but also like being able to redefine how some of the work that I do is done really empowered me and brought me out of my own depression where I was like, oh, this is why I'm doing this work, right? This work is not just for not, this work is not just over because we're in a pandemic. I get to redefine what this looks like. And that's, I've been loving that. That part is definitely the thing that's been keeping me, you know, going this year where, you know, we're redefining the way things are, the way we hold ourselves, the way we engage in, in, in getting people to the polls, the way in which we're, we're, we're talking and having discourse, even thinking about some of the ways that these, these systems are run. And so that's something that's really helped me, um, but it definitely has been difficult. And so like, for me, I'm a big person. I like to get out of nature. Um, lately, this, this summer, it's been a lot of uh, connection to water. Um, I'm actually not really a big person who like likes the beach or likes to swim too much, but I've actually been swimming a lot more and have been out on the water a lot more than I normally have. And so that has been something that has been a, a really big stress reliever as well as something, a way to, to decompress from, from all of the, the madness or BS that may be in our world at the moment. Word, word. So I also want to talk about, um, so this summer was, was, a lot was going on, right? Especially in like the, you know, you know, the social justice space, um, you know, with the unfortunate death of, you know, George Floyd, uh, Breonna Taylor, um, you know, and, and so many more. Um, after, you know, protests started and after everyone kind of started paying more attention to the things that were going on, you know, the question was always, now what? What do we do? What are the next steps? What are action items? What are, you know, what are, what are, how can we turn this into something actionable? And what I wanted to ask you is, you know, how did either you or the NAACP, you know, approach some of those action items? You know, if you can speak to some of those actionable things and those actionable steps, you know, I think that would be, you know, very valuable. Yeah. Um, well, first, first I want to say, is that these uh, these people didn't just die, they were murdered, right? And so we gotta be really clear, like words matter um, and be intentional about what was, what was going on, right? Crimes were committed against our community and people were murdered in cold blood, right? People were executed. Um, and so, you know, some people have, have, have uh, termed it the uprising, right? Where, you know, because of this pandemic, because of the fact that we were all inside and um, I remember even when the pandemic first started, right? Like that's when, like when I got on TikTok, I'm like, wow, people are so creative. People are making up all these games and different things to do 
while they're while they're occupying their time. But then when these murders started happening, people were like people because people's lives were indoors or in the house. People really had to had to face this. Like they couldn't escape. But there was like, yo, this is happening. Especially during that period of time, like it was feeling like it was happening every week, right? It was su- it was super deep. It was super rough, and it was hard to see. Like starting from Ahmad Aubrey, right? Even watching that video, it it it, it hit me in my soul. Just like watch it. Like I still think about um, him falling to the ground and how that was how that affected him um, and his family and his, and his life was taken away from him. So I think for for me, it's um, really making sure that people understand the context of it, but also recognizing that this was an op opportunity for people to get involved in the movement. This is an opportunity for people to say, hey, I want to step into this and actually do something about it. And so part of that is making sure that our organizations are structured well for people to be able to join the movement, right? Oftentimes, uh, a friend of mine says, you know, you by yourself can't do anything. But when you're part of an organization, when you're part of a group, you can do anything. And so uh, in in NAACP, we say membership is power. Um, One of my friends, uh, Jason Barnes, says, you know, not just membership is power, but active membership is power. And so, you know, when I'm thinking and talking to people who want to get involved, I urge them to find local organizations, local communities, local um, organizing bodies to be a part of and to join. Because when you are part of something, you're able to just continue to work, right? You coming in, picking, you know, picking something up. And oftentimes, you know, people want to just be the center of attention or this or whatever, want to be, hey, I'm vocal. Hey, I'm social justice. Hey, I care about Black people. It doesn't matter for you to just say, I care about black people, or for you to just post. There has to be action, there has to be advocacy, there has to be next steps, right? And I understand some people are here for a period of time and they move on, but I think it's necessary to think about the longevity of the movement because it's not just gonna start here. We know we've been fighting like the NAACP, we've been fighting since 1909, right? It, and we're still in, in very dire situations. And so we need to make sure that this is becoming a part of the system. Systems don't change by you know people hopping in and out. System changes when we're constantly beating down the door, constantly asking those questions, constantly advocating and making sure that our communities are coming first, right? We have to advocate for our interests. And so uh, when I think about action steps to tell people, I tell them to join an organization. I tell them to, to think about the longevity and thinking about advocacy. And then, you know, there are, are, are basic steps that people can take uh, to, to really change just their their own selves and their own lives to think about how this is sustainable, right? Think about the words that you use, right? If you're a person who oftentimes uses derogatory language towards black people or describe black people in a certain way, that's something that you need to check and make sure that you're you're not doing. And if you're around people who do that, you gotta be checking them. <coughs> if if you are a person who exists in a workspace or a work culture that is not hiring black people or not believing in the creativity of black minds, that's something that you can advocate for and work to fix. And if you have the power to do that, you should be using your power to change that, right? If you are if you are in a position of power and you're not using your power to change those systems that are oppressing Black people, you are a part of the problem. You are maintaining a system that is corrupt and not working from the inside to change it. And people have different strategies. People work from the inside. People work for the outside. It depends on what you believe. But wherever you're at, you know, you have a position in this fight. You have a dog in this fight. And, you know, I really believe it is our duty to, to do all that we can to change those systems. Got it. Got it. So, yeah, so your your approach to, like, some action, um, you know, actionable steps are kind of the long-term solutions, like the long-term 
you know, change maybe that starts within, you know, yourself or or within your direct community that you can, um, you know, use as like the springboard to, to uh, other change and like a domino effect to other changes. Exactly, because when you start it in yourself, right, other pe- especially if you're a person who has influence over, over others, but even within your family, right, when you start it, that causes a chain reaction, right? If you're a person planning to have a family and you're, you're committing to, to stopping certain habits that may exist in the family, that means your children are going to be better off and not going to be, you know, excuse my language, but shitty people, you know? When you start, you start changing it and, say, and, and working with your, your brothers and sisters, it's going to change it. If you have a person who has a wider network and people see that, you're going to change culture, right? I'm really about, I, I love the idea of culture shifting, right? It's about making sure that we are shifting people's paradigms and creating a new reality that we, we, we wish to exist in, right? Because the reality that we currently exist in right now, and I think that's what we've been feeling, you know, this whole 2020, it's not working. It's not working for anybody. Even the people who think it's working, it's not working for them because we're getting a rude awakening saying, hey, this can no longer be. You can no longer keep doing this. You can no longer keep killing us. We are done dying and we're gonna stand up and we're gonna fight back because we've been fighting back. And now we got an army of people even more to help us fight back. Facts, facts. Um, you know, staying on, on, you know, in this time frame of, of 2020, um, you know, I wanted to get a better idea of like, you know, what does your work look like on a day-to-day, um, both pre, um, you know, as we get, as we get ready for this election, um, and also in, in maybe like, you know, off years, uh, quote unquote, where, where you don't have, you know, a presidential election. One of my, one of my friends, uh, she says, I'm from Georgia, she always says, don't call it an off year. Right. There's always an election every year. There's always an election somewhere, someplace in America every year. And so, you know, we need to be engaged in the political process. Um, and when I think about engaging in the political process, right, I think about, especially in terms of voting, voting and elections are one point in the a massive infamous points for advocacy and to, to be able to, to change the reality, right? It's not the end all be all. Um, and, it, and it's not necessarily suffice because it is, um, it's one point in uh, the infinite points to do stuff. And so usually when I think about my work, you know, oftentimes the work that I do um, right now in this period of time is really making sure people understand the systems, but also are able to activate in those systems. So making sure that people are registered to vote, making sure people are educated, what's on your ballot, right? Um, like I said, I think I've, I've, I've had this conversation with you before and other folks, but like, you know, oftentimes the, the, mo- the money, it's not oftentimes, but like the money is at, at, in Trump and Biden, right? That's, that's the big ticket names that you see. But there are all these people who are, are on the bottom of the ballot. There are all these ballot initiatives that are also going to affect your life the next day after the election that are going to immediately affect you, right? If you're a person who has been involved or uh, part of the criminal injustice system, right, the person who is the DA will directly impact your life. And so making sure that you know who that person is and voting for the person who's going to serve your best interests is vital. And so we got to make sure we're educating people about all parts of the ballots and how to get access to their ballots or how to make sure they have access to voting. And then the last part is making sure that people get out to vote, right? People are going to the polls. How do we get those people from A to Z? Making sure that those folks turn out in every way possible because uh, oftentimes, especially in this election in the last few years, there's just been this idea of, of voter fraud, which is a myth, right? People aren't just going from precinct to precinct to, to vote and getting their favorites. People don't do that, right? What's not a myth 
is voter suppression, right? Oftentimes they want to suppress our vote and they will do everything they can to suppress it, providing disinformation, making sure that polling locations are getting closed, um, moving ballot box, drop off spots, right? There's so many ways in which our vote are being suppressed. Voter intimidation, people will go there with guns and, and, and stand in front of the election booth. And this is the same thing that they used to do back into us when they had us do the paper bag test, right? When they say, hey, if you're, if you're, not, uh, if you're darker than this, this paper bag, you can't vote. They used to give us these random ass tests saying, you know, if you have two cotton balls and then you have three cotton balls, what school does Sally go to? Things that don't even make sense, right? It has nothing to do with, with any kind of intelligence. And the same thing is happening today, but exists in a different form. And so making sure people can spot when voter suppression is happening and then what do I do to fight it, right? Who do I call? What can I do in that moment? Do I need to film it? Do I need to shoot it? Do I need to post it to social media? That's you know, one of the great things about social media is that we can film, shoot, and, and get it to the world in you know 0.5 seconds or quicker than that, right? And so making sure folks know exactly what to do when they're in the moment. Because people, you know, even when I was a kid, I was faced with some of these moments, not necessarily around voter suppression, but around racism um, and not knowing what to do in the moment. Feeling like I know this is wrong, but I don't know what I can do. So making sure that, especially in this election, as these things happen, because if they can't suppress, they will suppress, that people know what to do, where to get the resources, and how to get it to the right people. And then last but not least, you know, getting out on election day. So um, a lot of my work, you know, during this period of time is that um, during the off seasons or during the periods of time where it's not necessarily a presidential election or a midterm election, we're still doing election work, but we're also focusing on campaigns, right? Because voting isn't just, you know, as young people, where we, you just tell us, go vote, go vote, it doesn't work. We're issue-based voters. What are the issues and platforms that you're standing on? What are you gonna do about student debt? What are you gonna do about gun violence? What are you gonna do about the fact that when I walk outside, you know, uh, the streets are littered with trash or there's been a pothole down the street since I was three years old, right? Um, what are you gonna do about these issues that are affecting me or impeding me from getting to where I need to go to? And so, we want to make sure that we are discussing the issues and allowing young people to learn how to advocate for these issues. And so part of that is also uh, crafting campaigns to allow them to develop skills to do advocacy work. And so um, oftentimes I'll train young people to meet with elected officials. Oftentimes I will consult with young people around how to meet with their administrators or how to design a proper campaign and how you can identify certain leverage points to ensure that you get what you want. Didn't you... Um... Didn't, weren't you a part of some, like, I don't know if it was a campaign or, or something like of that nature, but um, one of either like your students or something like, you know, helped pass like a bill pretty recently, right? Can you talk about that? Exactly. Yep. So um, one of my young organizers, uh, DeAndre Jackson from uh, the Fresno State chapter of the NAACP, um, an amazing organizer, amazing leader. Uh, met her back in 2018 and we've been just rocking ever since. Um, she, just being inspired by the work that we're doing around civic engagement, has been engaged with a few different organizations basically in working to to create a bill, right? And so they were able to to work to to create a bill and then to go to um, Sacramento, go to the California State Capitol and really advocate for that bill. Um, essentially what the bill was, um, um, and I'm forgetting the name of the bill at the moment in time, but it's essentially a voter empowerment act. And essentially each campus, every, every public university, every Cal State, every UC, 
um, in California is now mandated to have um, a vote, almost like a vote coordinator or person or an administrator who is ensuring that young people have access to the ballot box. And so that means that this person essentially does, you know, very similar things to what I do um, on a national level. They're making sure that people are registered. They're making sure that uh, young people are getting educated, they're making sure that people have access to the ballot boxes and there's different events or promotion for folks to engage in that content. And that's happening all across the state of California. And so she was able to do that because she knew how to advocate, because she knew how to, to have conversations with elected officials, because she knew how to rally support of the individuals around her or the young people or the peers that she existed with. And so she was able to, uh, to transition and do uh, something so monumental because of the, the background and the training that she had. And so, you know, my part of my life's work is, you know, wanting to continue to train young people to be the people that they want to be and to do Montes and Emmanuel, uh, Montes and um, amazing things like moving a bill and getting it approved, right? Governor Gavin Newsom signed that bill last year and now that's a law. That's fire. Yeah. And it, and it definitely puts into that, like, puts into perspective that full circle of like, providing people with the tools, providing them with the information that you were talking about earlier um, and being able to turn that information and those tools into real things that are, are going to affect, um, you know, people's lives. I did want to ask, you know, I, I think that's like the, the best case scenario, right? That's like the positive side of, of activism. Um, however, like I think this year we've seen some cases and, and I'm sure through out the history of time, but you know, this year kind of especially with the pandemic and um, you know, things of that nature, I feel like a lot of people have been taking advantage of people's misfortune and pain in the in 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 that space and have been kind of posing as activists. You know, there's there's a story about someone posing as like a Black Lives Matter organization and just like buying cars and buying like Gucci whatevers and you know stuff like that you know how how can people protect themselves against that how can people like you know maybe be more aware of of these different like organizations to know which ones are like legit like do you have any like I don't know like rule of thumb or advice or like you know organiz organizations that you think are are safe to um you know engage with yeah, and that goes, that goes back to that point I talked about earlier of disinformation, right? Even in 2016, we got reports of, you know, foreign entities um, basically posing as Black Lives Matter uh, to convince people of uh, to otherwise to not vote or for other things that were sidetracking the work that we actually were doing. And so it's very important that you are particular about the information that you were looking up. Like there's so much, especially in this in this COVID era, there's so, I feel like there's been so much more as we have information overload, right? Something happens, everybody knows about it. It's like, oh, boom, 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 boom. Like every, everybody's so, we're so glued to our phones and glued to our social media because high key, right. you know, that's what we have. That's all we have. Like we, we don't, we no longer can engage in the ways that we used to engage with people. Um, so, you know, the way that we stay current and relevant is through Zoom, is through social media, is through the um, through Twitters and Instagram and all that. And so, what I, my rule of thumb is, I'm like, who do you know? Who are you, right? I wanna know who the person is. A lot of the pages are people that I, that I follow and I trust. I actually know those people or I know somebody who knows that person. 
where it's not not just like, oh, let me follow this person or believe what they say because um, they just said it and they're cool and it sounds good. I want to know actually who you are, right? So don't don't just go trust in everything because it sounds good, right? Do do some research, making sure make sure you're educated. You know, I always really believe like you got to check in, right? Who 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 are you? Who are the people that you're or you're you're believing um, in? Because if if I don't know them and I don't know what their 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 philosophy is or what their background is, they could maybe not exist, right? We know there's deep fakes. We know that people like people are people are creative. People do stuff just because it's funny to them, right? People create fake pages and fake memes and all this stuff like that, and you know all this mess. People are smart. People are smart, and they will do what they can even just for a laugh. And then some people who have more evil intentions will do it because they're trying to get you to not vote or they're trying to they're trying to be real the movement or they're trying to become famous because this is the quote unquote in thing to do black lives matter social justice isn't just a costume you can put on and put off and that's why it's really interesting to kind of even see the movement and how it's evolving because for black people we can't take this off this ain't something this is not oh i'm done with this at the end of the day is is part of who we are right we have to live live with this and exist with it and this, it kind of goes back to the point that i said earlier right people want to be us but they don't really want to be us they don't want to go take on the burdens that happen you know to be black and so we have to be able to to recognize who our trusted partners are who our trusted allies are who are the people who are really in our corner and making sure that we're, we're, we're checking in and really have a face to a name right i think that's what i'm really emphasizing is like who who are these people who are the folks that we're engaging with um, and making sure that somebody's connected to them because if they're coming from out the blue, excuse me, I don't know who they are. I can't take their word. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes that makes that makes sense. I do wanna, I do wanna, you know, as as we get kind of close to wrapping up, I, I do wanna, you know, I know you personally, so I know, I know, you know what I mean. I know who you are, and and I know who who you know, whiz might be on like the weekends, you know what I mean? You might, you might turn up a little bit. Um, but I think it's important that that other people know that too, you know what I mean? Cause I think a lot of the time, like, you know, you see activism and you see this social justice work and people just make these assumptions that these people are like, like all serious. I got you, I got you. When's the last, yeah, all right, go ahead. I'll let you take I got you, I got you. Life is about balance. Yeah, life is about life is about balance, right? Just like you talked about earlier, and even even to to kind of go to another point, right? Part of doing this work, especially because the work that I do is not it's not like I am I'm working or advocating for another community. I'm advocating for my community. I'm advocating for myself. So the the, the work is very deep because it's about my own freedom and my own liberation and my mother's liberation and my brother's liberation and my family's liberation and people I care about's liberation and yours and mine. Right. And so when bad things happen, right, just like the uprising and the murdering of all these of these these uh, these black people, these beautiful black people, it, it hits deep. Right. And it's it, it's like, wow. This can happen to me. And so the reason why I even like I, I do, I work, you know, extra hours and overtime is because I'm, I'm fighting for something bigger than myself and I'm fighting for something that includes me, but includes all of us. And so when you're fighting with something like that, this is deep and it hurts. And it's real, and so you have to be able to have balance, and you have to be able to check yourself, and you also have to make sure that you're good because you've seen activists and organizers, people 
go off the rails. We've seen people, you know, commit suicide because it's, it, it's, it's a lot. And so for me, I'm like, life is about balance, right? If you gonna work hard, you gonna play hard, right? And so I'm definitely the type of person to enjoy myself, to take my time, right? When I, when I vacation, I vacation, I go all in, I go all out. I make sure that I'm having a good time. I'm enjoying time with my, 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 my homies, my homegirls, everybody, because I wanna, I wanna make sure that I never forget that life is about living and life is about enjoying the time with the people that you care about, right? Um, where a concept I'm constantly thinking about is liberation and freedom. And I know that um, liberation is a constant struggle and it's something that we are constantly working towards. But I also believe that there are these moments of freedom and there are these moments of, of, of true genuine freedom and liberation. And that happens for me when I'm enjoying time with my people, turning up, having a good time, um, having experiences and really being in spaces where I get to be my beautiful black self. And so, uh, you know, I like anybody else, like you can, you can ask the homies, you can ask Jockey, you can ask Scotty, you can ask all the homies. Like, I, I love to have a good time and make sure that other people are having a good time because when other people are having a good time, I have a good time. I'm, for me, I, you know, Cocoon, I'm a person, I don't like people to be stressed. I don't like people to be wilding out. I don't like people to be, you know, having issues. Like, I love planning events. I love getting people together. Uh, and that's why this, 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 um, this COVID has definitely been difficult for me because I'm definitely a person who likes to bring people together, right? I like to create space. I like to have people enjoy company. I like people to, to take a load off and to, to de-stress. Like I really enjoy, that makes me happy to do that. Um, so that definitely has been difficult because of COVID. Um, but when I do get to do that, like definitely I'm in full form. I'm alive. I feel great. I feel I'm enjoying myself um, and loving to see other people enjoy themselves. Word, word. Speaking about the balance thing, do you remember this? There's like a quote that you said, I think you may have heard it from like one of your mentors or something, but it was like, like the movement can't exist if you're not at your hundred percent or something like that. It was like, like you have to be able to sustain yourself and, and have this like healthy mind state or have this, you know, take care of yourself to continue the movement. I don't know if you remember what you I don't know the quote, but I, but I, be, I believe that, um, you can't do good work if you're not good to yourself. You can't yeah. be helpful to the movement if you're not good to yourself. If you're operating and, you know, I, I need to do a better job of also listening to myself. And I have I actually have been. I actually been working on making sure that, like, I'm not beating myself up because of certain things. But um, I really believe that you can't be good to others if you're not good to yourself. If you're not at 100%, if you haven't done what you need to do for you to feel good, if you haven't taken a shower, if you haven't been... Make, you know, eating meals, if you haven't been doing things that make you happy, eventually this work will eat you up, right? You know, this, like I said, this, this work is, requires a lot of strong will, requires a strong mind, requires, um, you know, really unique skills, but you also have to be good to yourself. You also have to treat yourself well. You also have to make sure that you are doing what you need for your body to survive. And when you don't do that, right? Even myself, I've been in places, I'm like, even in college, right? Uh, and I think, I think college students are notorious for do that because that's also kind of the way that we teach organizing. And I'm, I'm working to, to try to get out of that habit. And even when I teach young people, I also want those people, young people to get out of that habit um, uh, that, they, that they may be in, in terms of just like, you know, um, work, 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 like work till I die. Like, no, that's, that's, not, that's, not, that's not healthy. You, you being dead doesn't help the movement, right? Um, I know that sometimes 
we we idolize and we glorify a lot of these people who um, have died in the movement. And that's really, they do deserve their respect. They do deserve their roses. But um, give me my roses while I'm here. Love me while I'm here. Don't love me when I'm gone. Like, I'm here right now. Let's enjoy it right here, right now. We're working towards a better future. We're working towards freedom. We're working towards liberation. But you got to be good at yourself, yo. You got to make sure that you're good and your people are good. Real talk. So this is my last and final question, Wiz. And I'm going to let you get back to, you know, changing the world. Um, but um, I want to know, you know, for people who, who want to get involved in, in the movement, in activism, in the NAACP, you know what I mean? Like, what are some, um, you know, what's some, like, advice? What's some, like, skills or characteristics or, like, things they can put on their resume um, that they can do to, to, you know, help the movement, help, help you know, join the movement and, and push, push things, you know, further towards uh, a better life? So number one, join the organization, right? You can always join the NAACP. You can go to naacp.org to learn more and become a member. Uh, definitely encourage folks to do that. Uh, but if there's other organizations, right, what, or, what, what issues speak to you, right? There are certain things, and not, and not even issues speak to you, right? Just go through your life, right? What are certain issues or things that you encounter on a daily basis, right? Are you feeling like there is workplace discrimination, right? I personally, like I have locks. There's been this whole big debate about professional work culture and styles and hair. Um, there was an actual uh, a bill that was passed called the Crown Act that's been passed in a lot of different states. Um, and I had a, a young organizer um, in Oklahoma, shout out to Delaney, um, who also organized that in her school where she wanted to fight against head and hair wear discrimination because her and her friends were being discriminated against because they were wearing types of headwears or hijab or whatever, right? Um, you know, you go through your, your, your daily life and you see issues. When you see issues, there is probably nine times out of 10, an organization that's working to address that issue. And if there's not, maybe you want to make one, right? People make organizations for everything. And so it, I think, one, it takes the willingness to, to, to go out there, to join and to, to, to find those resources. And part of it is just, you know, showing up and being there and, and being able to learn and, and connect with people. I think for me, what really got me started in this work was connecting with other people at other campuses when I was in college and to be able to form solidarity with those other black people to see, hey, right, these people are doing it. We, we can do the same thing here. I, I remember, just, like, just give you a quick story example. Um, when I connected with, my, with my, my bro Destiny, we went to Berkeley and they had an Afro house. And we're all at the Afro house and this is a house full of black people with you know, black art. Um, each room is named after different black activists or black figures in our community. And, and me and my homegirl Shad just looked at ourselves like, we should do this in Santa Cruz. We should make this happen. Like, this is, we could do this. And there was a building there that was meant for it, but wasn't existing like that, right? It was a building called the Rosa Parks African American Theme House, but there was maybe one or a couple of black people there. And so me and her decided to go over there, apply, become the RAs and recruit black people to live in that building. Now the building has, um, it's painted in the Pan-African colors and it's filled with black students and, or not at this moment. Well, not, I don't know what's going on now with the COVID, but um, yeah. it's filled with black students normally and they are having black events and making sure they're engaging in culture and history. And it, that was just us going to somewhere else, being inspired by other people and replicating it, right? And so oftentimes you can see different things and a lot of the work, I think, when I think about my own skill and like what I'm really good at, I feel like I'm good at replicating. Even like when I was a kid, I'm really good at just like seeing patterns 
and just saying, oh, that's how that works. Let me let me replicate it here and then just change some of the things that need to be changed, right? I, I see things and I'm able to replicate it really well. And so um, just you know, picking up those things and seeing where it's at and then and getting engaged. And then I'm thinking about like, for folks who wanna do this on a professional level, um, I think that it's really important for you to, to start thinking and seeing how you are able to help expand and grow uh, different organizations. And so if you're a person who's able to, to scale up really well, right? If you're able to kind of see a model and increase it, right? Or if you're able to um, um, help folks understand a certain concept and expand that concept and put it into action, right? I think that's the, the key thing like people want to see is they want to see people who are um, engaging in the action uh, of doing something, right? Organizing, it's a verb. You have to you do, you do it. And so I think part of it is being able to do that. And then I think one of the simplest ways to get organized and to get activated is to vote. Vote and bring other people to vote. Bring five people to the polls and ensure that they're voting. Hey, text five people saying, hey, you got a voting plan. Hey, do you have a right to the poll? Hey, do you know what you're gonna be doing um, uh, to get to the polls for this election, right? That is, you can organize your own community. You can organize your family, right? Those are first steps that you can take to just make sure, to making sure that the people that you know are good, right? Take that responsibility and say, hey, I'm gonna be responsible to make sure that all the people in my community and my family turn out and are educated and are able to make informed decisions. Host a host a or, an in-home ballot party and read the ballots and make sure you know what's on the ballot. Yeah, no, definitely well said. Um, Wiz, I appreciate you for joining me. I saw your mom in the background. Tell her hi. Um, you know, where can people find you and support you um, in the NAACP? Well, you can always follow us on Instagram at NAACPYC underscore, or you can follow the large national page at NAACP. Uh, we're also on Twitter. Uh, but if you want to directly engage with me, uh, something I've recently come to terms with is that I'm faster at responding to people on Instagram than I am to text message. And so you can feel free to DM me. Uh, you can follow me at Words of Wisdom 27 um, and then at Words of Wiz on, on uh, Twitter, Words of Wiz 27 on Twitter. Um, definitely hit me. I'm usually pretty open to conversation and dialogue. Um, and I love just you know supporting people in making their dreams come true and empowering them to, to create change. So again, thank you. Thank you to everyone who's watching. Um, this was Behind the Scenes and you can find us on weseeyoufam.com or you can find us at weseeyoufam on Instagram. Again, I appreciate y'all and until next time, peace.